We do have a PowerPoint. Uh, Joel, if you can get that one to come up, please. Yes, the subject of hell. It's uh, quite a challenging subject. But I just want to, I was reminded as I was thinking about this, of some of you will have known a lady called Joan Tunbridge. Hands up if you knew Joan Tunbridge. Does any of you know Joan Tunbridge? She used to be a member of this church, and she died about a year or so ago. And I went to her house uh, on her deathbed, and she was very frail, very weak. But I always remember her singing. She wanted to sing. Hannah went with a guitar to play to her. She wanted to hear psalms. And there was a confidence in her weakness that she knew where she was going. She just knew. And I want to say to you that if you are in Christ, what I mean by in Christ, if you are fully in Christ, you're, you're, with an honest heart, you are seeking to be a follower of Jesus and you love him and God's done something in you, you can know where you're going. There was a time in my life when I didn't know where I was going and I was at Exeter University and the Lord was calling me and I cannot describe it but I just saw, I just knew there was a hell. I felt I was on the edge of it and I felt God saying to me, make your choice. Now some, would, some people say that God decides who goes to hell and people don't have much choice in it and, you know, Calvinism. There may be part, of, part truth in that, but I think we do have a choice. God will do all means of grace to us, but he will leave the choice to us. We do have free will, I believe that. C.S. Lewis wrote, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. Which to me, God does take our free choices seriously. Anyway, before we go any further, I'd like to read to you about five Bible verses just to give you a taste of what some of the things the Bible says about hell. They're only little verses here and there. I'm not going to read long passages at the moment. And I just want you to listen to them because I think it's good to start with the Bible. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 12 in the Old Testament, verse uh, 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. That's speaking about those who are rising from the dead to face judgment. <clears throat> Matthew 25, Jesus' words, the parable of the sheep and the goats. I'm just going to read one or two verses. This is what Jesus said about when he will return. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, with all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. In verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. 
Now, I wish that wasn't in the Bible, but it is. I'm only telling you what the Bible says. Mark chapter 9, this is something Jesus said about hell, and I'm just going to read one or two verses. He's talking about sin and how sin can take you to hell. Because you see, people only go to hell because of sin. Verse 47 of Mark 9, If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Just two more. (laughs) I'm going to end positively today, but I just need to read these to you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7 onwards. The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people. And then the last one. This is a final picture of the day of judgment, which is throughout the scripture. It says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence. There was no place for them. I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Pretty serious stuff, isn't it? Well, I hope to explain some of that later. But before we get into the Bible, I want to just look at This next slide, I mean, sorry the slide's a little bit small on the screen, but the slide says, what is the world saying about hell? You know, the the culture in which we live. And you will know if you're a cyclist, that man in the first picture is Bradley Wiggins from Team Sky, a cyclist. Now, the UK Anti-Doping Agency has been investigating Bradley Wiggins about drugs. He's been proven innocent. But he said these words. It's in the news this week. He said, they have made my life a living hell. People often speak about hell as being something in this world. This side of the grave. You know, like, you know, my boss, he's making my life hell. Jean-Paul Sartre, a philosopher, he said this. He said, other people are hell. So what is happening in the world today is there's a subtle shift to make hell be this side of the grave. This 
you know, something in this world that people do to you, and not something that's beyond the grave to be feared and something that Jesus decides. It's a subtle tactic of the enemy, I believe, to relocate hell into this world, oh, my job is hell, my marriage is hell, blah, 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 and not, and it kind of takes the edge off of it. The second person over there is an oil prospector from California. His name was Charlie Woods. Charlie Woods found a great oil gusher in California. They used to nickname him Dry Hole because he couldn't find oil for a long time. They used to mock him. Charlie Dry Hole, they used to call him. He can't find any oil. But when he did find oil, it was one of the most um, profitable oil wells ever found. 80,000 barrels of oil a day. They interviewed him on the radio, and this is what he said, and I quote. They asked him, what is it like? He said, it is hell. Literally hell. It roars like hell, it surges like hell, it's as uncontrollable as hell, it's as black and as hot as hell. And what he's doing is using the word loosely. Overusing the word. And people do that in the world today. Hell has become a swear word. The next person, moving swiftly on, Rowan Atkinson. You probably can't see it, but he's dressed up as a little devil. And he plays comedy sketches about hell, where he jokes about the temperature, he jokes about who's in hell. And hell has become a subject of comedy. And jokes have been written about hell. Let me read you one. You might even laugh at it. Heaven is where the police are British. The cooks are French. Here goes Zaina. The mechanics are German. The lovers are Italian. And it's all organised by the Swiss. Hell is where the cooks are British. The mechanics are French. The lovers are Swiss. The police are German, and it's all organised by the Italians. Okay? But that's a joke, but this is common in our culture today. And if you go to this, you can't really see it, but this, um, that's called the post office of hell. There's actually a place on earth called hell. It's in the Cayman Islands. I know people who come from the Cayman Islands. There's a little town called hell. You can go there and you can buy a t-shirt which says, I've been to hell and survived. You can go there and there are road signs which say, if you, really, if you want to go to hell, follow this road. And hell is a little place. They call it hell because there's all these black rocks there that look very, very odd, made of limestone. So you can see that people laugh off the idea of hell. People take the edge off of hell. They relocate hell. So hell has lost its power, if you like, in today's culture. And the other thing is this gentleman... Richard Dawkins, you've all heard of him, he's a you know, strong atheist, he obviously denies God completely and therefore there's no hell, so therefore, I mean he goes around or used to go around in a bus and on the bus it was written, there's probably no God, so just relax and enjoy your life, stop worrying, that's what it said on the bus. But we know what the Bible says, next slide. The Bible says this, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it clearly says this, Man is destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. Whether you like it or not, you are going to stand before God, and he will judge you. Okay? Now, let's look at what the church is saying, and then we'll get really into the Bible. What is the church saying about hell? Well, 
Not a lot. <laughs> we don't talk about it. The church seems to have stopped saying that, you know, doesn't say a great deal about hell. I mean, how many sermons have you heard on it? Because it's a very, not a very happy subject. But, and here's the interesting thing. Although hell is the most offensive doctrine or teaching in the Bible, Jesus spoke the most frequently about it. They think that he spoke, some scholar worked out, 13% of everything he said referred to hell. Half of all the parables he said have some mention of everlasting punishment or separation. Half, that's around about 20 parables out of around about 40. And I don't think Jesus is a liar. Do you? We love, we love Jesus. Jesus is wonderful, full of forgiveness, but he spoke the most about hell, so we really need to listen to what he said. Now, some in the church have sought to change the meaning of hell because it sounds, sounds so awful. They've come up with other ideas, like that gentleman there. Um, his name is Rob Bell. He wrote a book called Love Wins. And in the book, he argues that God is so almighty and powerful that everyone one day will end up in heaven. And he said, if people end up in hell, then God has failed. You know, God is weak. If God is so almighty, then surely, if he, if he doesn't desire that anyone perishes, like it says in Scripture, surely, in the end, he will somehow save everyone. But the problem with that idea is it's not supported by the Bible. It does say God is not willing that anyone should perish, but it does not say everyone in the end will be okay. It says exactly the opposite. In fact, Jesus said, what about this? He said, few there be that find the way to life. Enter in at the narrow gate, for broad is the way to destruction, and many go that way. How does that match? You see, one thing that Rob Bell has done is he's taken the love of God, and God is love. He loves you more than you ever, loves you more than your mum and dad, loves you more than anyone. But here's the thing God is holy love. He's not just love, he's holy love. And if there is sin that's still there, undealt with, he cannot accept it. It's like if my Lydia, sorry, I'm nicking Pat's idea, but if my Lydia came home to my house covered in dog's poo, said, Daddy, I want to come in, I want to run around my bedroom, I want to run upstairs, I want to get into bed, I'm going to keep my shoes on, I want to watch TV, I'm going to go in the kitchen. I love Lydia. I love her. But I cannot allow her in the house running dog's mess all over the house. I just can't. So get rid of that. Take off those shoes. And if she says, I refuse... I know better, I refuse. Then I'm going to have to say to Lydia, then you must stay outside. And I shut the door. And that's a picture of hell. See, what they do is they take God as love and they make that everything. But God isn't just love, he's holiness, he's justice, he's a judge. He's part of who God is. And what they do is they take one thing about God and make it everything. Oh, God is love. He is, but he isn't just love. He's holy love. Right, another one. Sorry about the isms. That's universalism. This is another ism. This is another thing the church has done to change the idea of hell. It's called annihilationism. And it's got quite a lot of support. And it was really supported by a man called John Stott, who is a very godly, he's in heaven now, but he's a very, very godly Bible scholar. But annihilationism, if you can bear with me, basically says... That when you die, if you have not repented, 
You will go to hell, but in hell you will be extinguished. Let me just read what they actually say. Annihilationism is the teaching that God will condemn the wicked to extinction, which is the second death. Those who do not repent will simply pass out of existence. They will be no more. And that, you might argue, is better than suffering in hell. You know, they just don't exist anymore. Some of their arguments are, just briefly, that fire consumes. You know, if you put something in a fire, it just gets consumed. And that is what happens, like in an incinerator. You put something in an incinerator, it's destroyed. That's what will happen to the wicked in hell. They'll just be destroyed. And God is a consuming fire. This is what they argue. They also argue that the fire... It's called eternal fire in scripture, but it's called eternal fire because its results are eternal. Its results are eternal. In other words, if you go into those fires, you are forever no more. You cannot be ever created again. Its results are eternal. That's what they say. They don't say that the fires burn. They also quote verses such as where in Malachi, where it says, the wicked will be like ashes under your feet. You know, destroyed. Not suffering in hell, but destroyed. This is quite a strong argument, and I almost believed in that. (laughs) You know, God will just get rid of the wicked. He won't make them suffer. But you can't really support this very much from Scripture. We'll see in a moment. To me, it seems kinder to destroy someone than to let them suffer. But again, the Scripture doesn't seem to support this teaching. These guys also say that God will decide if you live forever. And if, if he thinks you're in sin, he'll just get rid of you. You're not necessarily immortal. Only if God allows it. But, let's move on. What did Jesus say? Let's come back to Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew uh, 13, verse 49. He said this. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now my point is this. If you don't exist anymore, how can you weep? If you don't exist anymore, how can you gnash your teeth? Weeping and gnashing of teeth are very strange descriptions of hell. Weeping means sorrow. Gnashing of teeth, what does that mean? Any ideas? What does that mean, gnashing of teeth? Pete? How are you feeling when you gnash your teeth? Not too angry, yeah, someone said angry. So, sorrow and anger. But isn't it strange, how can you have sorrow mixed with anger? Because they're two different things, aren't they? How can you have sorrow and anger at the same time? I'll tell you how you can have it. You can have it in frustration. If you're frustrated... You're sad and angry at the same time. And hell is a place of eternal frustration. Let's move on. Another verse which seems to destroy the idea that you are just extinct in hell. You you know, you're just put out of existence like someone snuffing out a candle. And that's this one in Revelation chapter 14. It's not a nice verse. Verse 9 to 11, it says... Anyone who worships the beast and his image and receives 
the mark on the forehead or on the hand, must drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. And this is it. This is the bit which isn't very nice. And they will be tormented. That's what it says. They will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb, who is Jesus. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. And, this is it, they will have no relief, day or night. No rest. You know that phrase, there's no rest for the wicked? I know this is a very serious subject, but just hear me out. I think people are tormented in hell. Now, how is another question, but let's just move on. So this comes to what most Christians believe is the proper teaching of hell, and it's not a nice one, but I'll try and explain it. It's called eternal conscious torment. Eternal conscious torment. Now, I struggle with this concept, but there are many scriptures in the Bible about it. But if you look at that picture, there's a picture of a park bench, right? You might think, what is Simon talking about? Why have you put a picture of a park bench up there? Well, there's something called the park bench theory. And it goes like this. Imagine that you are walking in a park, and you see a man sitting on a park bench, and he's got a grasshopper on his lap and he's ripping the legs off the grasshopper. What do you do? You might think, that guy's a bit mean, a bit of a sicko, but it's only a grasshopper, so I'll just leave him to it. Right. Rewind the scene. Imagine you're in the park again, you're walking along, and there's a man sitting on a park bench, and this time he's got a bird on his lap, and he's pulling the legs off the bird. How do you react now? Now, I know Tony would headbutt him, because he loves animals. But you see, what you might do is you might say something to him, you might try and stop him, or you probably would phone the RSPB, but you may not do much more than that. It's only a bird. Rewind. Imagine you're walking along the park bench, and there's a guy sitting there with a puppy on his lap, and he is ripping off the front legs of the puppy. He is ripping off the back legs of the puppy. He must be very strong. Now, for some of you now, that's crossed the line. You are going to rugby tackle him. You're going to say, Oi! You can't do that. That's a dog. Rewind the scene one more time. Imagine you're walking through the park and sitting on the park bench as a man and he's got a baby on his lap and he's ripping the baby's arms off and he's ripping the baby's legs off. What do you do? You go ballistic. Whether you love babies or find them annoying, you go ballistic. You Rugby tackle him, you hit him, you stop him, you try to rescue him. Your wrath is so strong. And this is the argument of eternal torment. The argument goes like this. When we sin against God, we have no idea in this life how serious it is in his eyes. But when you stand in eternity, you will see how absolutely heinous against pure purity it is. And if you haven't got someone to rescue you, you must pay strict justice. Strictest, perfect justice for your sin. And it's, it's worse than ripping the arms and legs of a baby. It's, it's horrendous. If you commit adultery or you murder or, or even think lustful thoughts and you haven't got someone who will rescue you, that's Jesus, it's 
heinous. It's like ripping the arms and legs of a baby. God's anger is so perfect and just. But the good news is, you don't have to go to hell. <laughs> you don't have to pay the strict justice of your sin. You don't have to pay it at all. Someone's paid it for you. His name is Jesus. There's a solution. Right, let's just move on to some questions about hell. I'm going to ask one or two of you these questions, so this will wake you up. Right, if I can get the thing working. Joel, can you move on? Doesn't seem to have... Uh, just press the next... Oh, some questions about hell. Right, I'm going to ask you these. You've got to give me some answers. Why was hell created? Anyone got an answer? Why was hell created? For the devil and his angels. Good, thank you. It's, we read that, didn't we? Jesus did not create hell originally for people. People are not meant to go there. It's a kind of prison, a place of punishment for the devil and his angels. But people who refuse God's offer of forgiveness, where else can he put them? Question two, do you deserve to be sent to hell? Yes. <laughs> now, there are people who think, I'm, I know I don't deserve to go to hell. I'm not a paedophile. I, I'm a good person. You know, I, I give money to the poor. I, I'm a good person. But Jesus said this. He said, there is none good. No, not one. Paul writes, there's none good. No, not one. None righteous. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says in Romans 3, the whole world is guilty before God. It doesn't matter whether you're pretty good or not. The point is that we're all sinful human beings. So you may not like that truth, but everyone deserves to go to hell. And I can tell you this, standing here, I definitely do. <laughs> I definitely do. But, you know that phrase, but for the grace of God go I. But for the grace of God go I. Only because of Jesus I'm spared the perfect justice of the righteous judge against sin. The Aaron, 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 I quote him. He said, Gee, God is lawyer, jury, judge, and... Judge, jury, and executioner all in one. That's God. Perfect, holy, righteous justice, perfect law, but Jesus has paid it all for you. You don't need to pay these things. Right, next question. Are people in hell this morning... What do you think? Does anyone think people are in hell now? Hmm. It's a controversial one, this. My view is this, and you can argue with me. My view is, no, they're not. My view is, at the moment, hell is unoccupied. Hell is prepared, but empty. Now, you may think, what are you talking about? Well, if you really study the Bible, and I know David Pawson thinks this, the... He says there are three stages to human life. Stage one is what you're in now. You've got a spirit in a body. And we all love you and think you're great. Stage two is when you die. Your spirit leaves your body in the ground. If you know Jesus, your spirit goes to be with Christ. Because Paul said, if it's better I depart and be with Christ. Your spirit, not your body, your spirit, the inner you, goes to be with Christ in what's called paradise. 
or the old heaven, if you like. If you die without knowing Jesus, your, body, your spirit leaves your body and goes to a place called Hades, which is not hell. This is, if you look at it in the Bible, you can... Hades is a place, a holding place for the unbelieving dead. It's known as Sheol in Scripture, in the Old Testament. Uh, sometimes it gets called the grave, but it's not the punishment of hell. <clears throat> it's an intermediate state. Death is not the end. Because we did read, didn't we, that in, even in the end, death will be thrown into hell. Hades will be thrown into hell. Do you remember reading that? And it says the dead, Hades gave up the dead that were in it. The sea gave up the dead that were in them. It's like a holding ground before the final stage, which is stage three. Now, stage three, according, I believe, is when Jesus returns as judge. There is a resurrection. All your spirits go back into a new body. You get a resurrected body. Those that have been with the Lord get a resurrected body, fit for the new heaven. Those that have been held in Hades get a resurrected body, which is called the resurrection of damnation. It's a resurrection of, towards judgment. And you may or may not think this, but if you really look at the Bible, hell is a place where bodies are thrown. Jesus said, fear him, that's God, fear him who can throw both soul and body into hell. I don't know if you believe that, but hell is a place of bodily punishment. It's not this kind of body, but a different resurrected body. As I say, it doesn't matter really what you think, to be honest. Uh, it doesn't matter if I'm right or not. The point is, the good news is you don't have to go there, whether there are three stages or two. But some people do say, you know, oh, he died and went to hell. Well, I think that comes at the day of judgment, when Jesus judges all the resurrected ones. Next question. Is God in hell? Any answers? What do you think? Anyone? No. Right. The, the classic answer is, no, it's eternal separation. God's not there. Well, I want to say this. No, God is not there. God is not in hell in terms of his love. He's not there in terms of his peace. He's not there in terms of his presence. But he is there in one sense, I think, according to Scripture. If you read, he's there in the sense of his wrath, his anger. Now, you may say, well, how do you find that? Well, there are some verses which Jonathan Edwards, um, he's a, one of these old preachers from the 1700s, quite a hellfire preacher, really. But he was involved in two revivals where God moved massively in his church. And he suggests that the only, God is not in hell. There's no love in hell. There's, no, there's nothing of good of God. But there is the wrath. And he says this. Behold, the Lord will come with fire and his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. He says, we read in scripture of the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. The fury of God, the fierceness of Jehovah, the fury and wrath of Almighty God. He says, God will execute fierceness in hell of his anger without pity. He will not forbear the execution of his wrath. There will be no moderation, no mercy, nor will God at all hold back his rough wind. He will have no regard to the welfare 
that you should suffer too much. But God will only do this. You shall not suffer beyond what strict justice and law requires. Then, then Jonathan Edwards writes, But now God stands ready to pity you. This is a day of mercy. You may cry now with encouragement of obtaining mercy. But when once the day of mercy is past, your cries and shrieks will be in vain. You will be wholly lost and thrown away of God. God will have no other use to you then but to make you a vessel of wrath fitted to destruction. So, do you know what John Paul Sartre said? He was a French atheist. He said this. He said, if hell is real, he said, there's one thing I can't stand. He said this. He said, I can't stand having the gaze of a holy God looking at me for all eternity. Now, I know it's a difficult concept, fire. You know, we'll talk about fire in a minute. But I believe fire is not actual flames. You'll be glad. You know, I don't think it's actual flames, because the devil's going to go there. How can the devil burn? The devil hasn't got a body. But I do think it's anger. That's what it is. Fire is a picture of anger and wrath. You know, we have this phrase, he's very hot-tempered. It's a picture of anger. Right, last two questions, and then we'll get right on to what Jesus said, and then we'll finish. Um, in hell, does rebellion and sin cease? Well, some theologians say that in hell, every knee will bow. As it says in the scripture, every knee will bow. So even the sinner will bow in hell and say, you are right, God. I was wrong. And the rebellion will stop. You know, some think that people keep on swearing and cursing and sinning in hell and hating God. But actually, the scripture seems to indicate that once the people are there, they're going to go, they bow the knee and say, God, you are absolutely right. But it doesn't mean they're saved. I'm not talking about everyone getting into heaven here. But that God will say, I am the righteous judge. And these people, everything will come under God. It says in the Bible, God will be all in all. Don't think that God's going to have people over there putting their fingers up at him in hell. They're going to be on their knees saying, God, you're right, I was wrong. But they're not saved. Last question, why is hell called the second death? Any answers? Anyone know? <laughs> well, second in scripture often means permanent. That's what it means, the permanent feature, or the abiding thing. That's the meaning of the word second. There are many, I could point you to various Bible verses that kind of show that. And death doesn't mean extinction. Death means separation or alienation. In scripture, death means alienation. So this is the final, permanent, abiding separation from all the good things of God. Okay. Let's try and move on, and we'll get to some good news in a minute, <laughs> so you'll go out slightly positive. Now, I've put on that slide there, but people often think of something, you know, they have their own image of what hell might be like, you know, their own sort of image of hell. And that is a photograph, does anyone know what that photograph is? It's Auschwitz, which was the German concentration camp where they killed, I think, four million Jews. I have been there. In 1989, I actually went there and I saw the gas chambers. I saw the piles of spectacles from Jews that had been killed. I actually saw it. 
I went to a wall, <coughs> excuse me, a wall uh, in Auschwitz where they had shot 20,000 people in the back of the head. Now, to me, that's the closest thing I could think of, of absolute hell. Um, and just to depress you further, if you went to Auschwitz when it was functioning properly, you could get into Auschwitz. If you were selected for death, you'd be gassed. They'd shave your hair off and make it into pillow stuffings. They would take any tattoos off and turn it into lampshades. They would boil your skin down to make it into fat. They'd burn your body and turn you into fertilizer, all within the space of one and a half hours. They processed people that fast. So that's kind of my image of hell. But, but, but let's get to the Bible again. What does Jesus use as his image? He doesn't use Auschwitz, of course. Now, you can't see that picture, unfortunately, but that is a dark valley. That's a dark valley, and that is the city of Jerusalem next to it. And whenever Jesus spoke about hell, the, the image he used was of a valley called the Valley of Hinnom. Or another name in the Greek is the Valley of Gehenna. This valley was a dark, deep, dark valley outside the walls of Jerusalem. And it had a very terrible history. Down in that valley, in the reign of King Manasseh, they used to burn alive babies as sacrifice to a god called Moloch. And the, a righteous king called Josiah, he got so annoyed and angry that this was happening that he turned it into a rubbish dump to desecrate it. He made it full of rubbish so that no Moloch worshippers would ever do that ever again. He turned it into a rubbish dump and they used to set fire to the rubbish. So it was a burning rubbish dump in the bottom of a valley. And they used to keep the fires burning to burn up the rubbish and rubbish was just thrown in there. And when Jesus spoke about hell, he said, he talked of it like this. He said in Mark 9, which I read earlier, um, <clears throat> he said, sorry, let's just read it very quickly. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. In that valley, there was fire that kept burning to burn up the rubbish and there were also maggots and worms. Now, <clears throat> what a horrible picture. But I just want to say this about it. Just a few points, very briefly. One, it's outside the city. It's outside the city. So it's a place of exile. Okay? It's outside. You're excluded. It's a picture of hell that Jesus used. Two, it's very, very dark. That valley was so deep in the original times that the sunlight didn't get to the bottom of it. Now, if you go there today, if you go to Israel, they've made it into a tourist resort and a kind of a pathway across it. And it isn't as it was. But even until the 1960s, it was quite deep. And they, even until the 1960s, they would burn, burn rubbish in it. So it's, it's without dark. Now, Jesus said hell is dark. It's outer darkness. It's dark. What does that mean? It means that there's no light there. God is not there in that sense, in his light, his, his goodness. His light is not there. I once went to Wales, uh, and I went down a coal mine <clears throat> called the Big Pit when I was a kid. And you're down the coal mine, walking along, looking at all the stuff, and they said, hey, should we turn the lights off and show you what it's like? So they turned all the lights off. And I'm not joking, I couldn't see my hand right in front of my face. It was pitch black. 
I waved my hand in front of my face and I couldn't even see it. It was pitch black. Hell is like that. It's darkness. <coughs> the other thing about this valley was there's a place where rubbish was thrown. So really, hell, sorry to say this, guys, is, is a rubbish bin for humans. It's where the rubbish is thrown. And you never read Jesus saying, go to hell or sent to hell, but the phrase thrown into hell. So it's the idea of throwing rubbish into a place, a rubbish dump. And some theologians would say, you know, you're destroyed, but others would say, no, you're not destroyed, you just become useless. Because the word perish in scripture is not a word that means destroyed, it means becomes useless. If you have, for instance, a hot water bottle that's perished, it still exists, but it's no good anymore. So you throw it in the rubbish. If you have a, I don't know, you cyclists, you have a cycle wheel, a tire that's perished, the inner tire, you, it, it still exists, you throw it in the rubbish. It's, it's perished. That is the meaning. The meaning of the word perish is fail to be useful anymore. Useful to God. Fail to fulfill the reason why it was made. This is the meaning of Jesus' image of hell. Okay, um, and I did hear one preacher say this I'm quoting someone else now but he said this he said the word salvage when you salvage rubbish is actually very close to the word salvation and Jesus is in the business of salvaging people so they don't go to this place okay right let's move on <coughs> I want to finish, I'm going to finish on a very positive note, you'll be glad to know, but I wanted to say this, because Pat asked me this question. He said, I wonder how God judges people. I wonder how God judges people. Well, I was thinking about the Day of Judgment and what the Bible says, and one thing that comes across from the Bible is that on the Day of Judgment there will be surprises. It won't all be, you know, oh yeah, but there'll be surprises, because... Um, We'll come to that in a minute. But here are some quotes from Jonathan Edwards. Now, Jonathan Edwards said this. He said, Every natural man that hears of hell flatters himself that he shall escape it. You know, people don't think they're going to go there. Yeah, Saddam Hussein, sure. Hitler, definitely. Me, no, I'm not going there. People don't believe they're going to hell. The other thing is, uh, this is what they used to sing in World War I. The British, you know, because I'm into war and everything. The British soldiers in the trenches in World War I used to sing this song. O death, where is thy sting-a-ling-a-ling? O grave, thy victory. The bells of hell go ting-a-ling-a-ling for you, but not for me. You know, it was, you're going to go there, but not me. So, but if we think about the Day of Judgment... How do you know you're going to get into heaven? Well, there's some scriptures which are very, very simple. Uh, I'll, I'll just read you one or two and then we'll, we'll close soon. Uh, in John chapter 3, <coughs> verse 18, Jesus said this. He said in John chapter 3, verse 18, Whoever believes in him, that's Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already 
because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So it seems pretty simple, doesn't it? You've just got to believe in Jesus. But, (laughs) just to make you sit up, what does it mean by believe? Because Jesus also said this, just to make you sit up and not think you can just think, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, I'm fine. He said this in Matthew 7, 21. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, 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 will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We drove out demons. We performed miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So all Jesus is doing is qualifying. What does it mean to believe? Well, to believe doesn't just mean, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Because I've met people like that. They say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, he's a man upstairs. Great, isn't it? To believe in Jesus means you believe with your entire life. You have allegiance to Christ. Your life, I'm not saying you've got to be perfect. No one's perfect. It's just, I I, I really believe in him. I, I stake my whole life on him. I trust him entirely with my life. That is the believing of which this speaks. Um, There are many other things that Jesus said. But you see, there are those on the Day of Judgment who think they're all right, and they won't be. I mean, another little thing is, what is our approach to sin? You know, Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. What did he mean? What he meant was, If you've got a sin, you've got to get radical. You've got to get radical. If you, I mean, I know I've had sins in my life, and I've had to get help. You can't just put it under the carpet and say, oh, the Lord will be fine with it. You've got to get radical about sin, if there's anything that, um, you know, is getting in the way. But let me just finish. I won't say any more on that. By... Ending on a positive note, if you in this room today have trusted Christ with your whole life, you really trust him and you're seeking to live a holy life, you're not seeking, you are taking sin seriously, you're dealing with it radically when it crops up, then this is what awaits you in glory. The eternal bliss of the blessed Trinity, the bliss of perfect fellowship of holy love, purity beyond description, everlasting light, beholding Jesus face to face, and into his eternal life you are born to share and enjoy that life. Everlasting light, no weeping or gnashing of teeth there, for all tears have been wiped away. That is where you're going, people, who know and love the Lord. But if you're unsure, if you're not like Joan, you know, Joan knew where she was going. If you're not sure, if you think, oh, I'm sort of relying on my own goodness, then I really encourage you to cry out to Christ this morning. Because there are those that think they're good enough for heaven, but they're not. There's a story of a man who turned up at a wedding feast and he didn't have a garment on him. And someone in the story, Jesus said the story, how did you get in here? You haven't got a wedding garment. And it says, the man was speechless. He didn't have the righteousness 
of Christ. That's the wedding garment. It's a picture of the righteousness of Jesus. People think they're going to get in by their own merit. They are not. But anyone in Christ is utterly saved. Let me just uh, finish by this. Okay, you, you know the Lord. You love him. You, you're saved. That's great. What is your responsibility now you've heard about hell? <laughs> is it to go home and get depressed? You know what your responsibility is? I can only think of three things. It's very simple. One, you've got to pray for people. If you think this is true, and I do, you've got to pray for people. I mean, I'm, I'm rubbish at praying for people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not good at it. I find it really hard. But I know when I have prayed for people, like my dad, when I've prayed for my dad, he's come to me with loads and loads of questions. When I haven't prayed, he hasn't. We have a responsibility to pray and be what I call intercessors. Inter means, all inter, it just means coming in between. Inter. You come in between them and hell. The other responsibility we all know is to try and share the faith. Well, I think praying for people is more important. Try to share the faith. And the third responsibility is, if you know this sin in your life, get it dealt with. Cut the hand off. I mean, I had a problem, just now I'm going to finish, with, as I've said this before, with internet. So I installed on my mobile phone, which isn't here, uh, a software which monitors everything I do and sends messages to the wife if I do anything dodgy. And it's a great help. <laughs> and I also obviously cried out to the Lord. But I really encourage you to take things seriously. So I'm, the final slide, and I'm finished, is a picture. If I can get it. Picture of um, heaven and hell, a little sign. Heaven that way, hell that way. There are people you and I know who are not yet the Lord's, and we need to pray for them. So I encourage you to do that. Okay, so let's just close, and uh, could you all stand, please?